Welcome, friends, to the Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open, Pete. Receiving you, Matt, the Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for short treks, Ephraim Dot, as well as the girl who made the stars come to you now via animation. Pete, in the Star Trek sphere, we're just about to turn the corner towards the A, return of live action stuff. That'll be the next short trek in the beginning of January. B, uh, a little more than a month's time until Star Trek Picard and can't wait for that adventure to, uh, to take off there. And I feel like Star Trek Picard is coming at a good time. I know loyal listeners to our pop culture podcast feed know that we are bang smack in the middle of Runaways, The Mandalorian, uh, Watchmen, Godfriended Me, uh, and Rise of Skywalker. And, you know, a lot of those will not be airing anymore come Picard. And we'll be able to sit down with the uh, with the Admiral, have some tea, and reflect on each episode. <laughs> I mean, definitely the right time to put the animated ones out that they came out together. Um, And we're going to talk about our theories as to the differences between the two of them and what they may represent. But a little bit of a different feel here from Star Trek. Well, Pete, let's dive into talking about that first episode. A frame and dot is directed by Michael Giacchino, written by Chris Silvestri and Anthony Marinville. The episode opens with an old-timey film presentation talking about deadly threats and more cute ones like the tardigrade. She searches the galaxy looking for a place to lay her eggs. We see this one looking to lay eggs, but she senses something. The episode moves from a square of black and white to delightful widescreen color. It's the TOS Enterprise. She listens to... Kirk talking to Khan with appropriate audio from Shatner and Montalban. Outside the window, a workbot arrives, zapping the intruder. The tardigrade is gone, it seems, but both bot and animal end up inside the ship. A Looney Tunes chase continues down the corridors and into pipes. The tardigrade ends up in engineering, in the warp core. Perhaps this is the perfect place to lay eggs. And she does. A moment later, the bot, presumably Dot, is there to throw out a frame. No luck just yet, but they do overhear Sulu pointing his rapier. That's when the Tardigrade is booted, seeing different Enterprise adventures, including the Tholians, a Doomsday Machine, that darn green hand. She's even tagging along as the refit film Enterprise dodges, zaps from the Reliant, and gets hit by a Klingon warbird. It's the Enterprise A now, by accident, but the fight continues between animal and robot. Once again, a frame is booted from the ship. Dot finds the eggs, then the ship is set to self-destruct. It's the end of Star Trek III, with Mother Creature watching the ship go down. Floating by is a damaged Dot. A frame is ready to take revenge, but look, the babies are in space too. The narrator tells us peace returns to the family, and it appears Dot has joined Mother and children too. This animated... Uh, short here I think the most reminiscent of the the past animation that we've gotten that they involve 
the Enterprise at various points throughout its journey, um, which the, as you're watching the first time, you're like, wait a minute, Khan now, um, you know, Sulu, it, we, we don't see it, but is threatening his shipmates with a sword. Wait, suddenly the Enterprise is blowing up in front of a Klingon bird of prey. It's, it's Star Trek three. Um, you know, the, the tardigrade, as we know from discovery existing in the mycelium network, existing outside of our regular space time, a really clever way to do this. And then you bring in uh, director, not just, um, you know, mu musician, Michael Giacchino here and the, the themes that he's able to imbue throughout this, you know, animated offering. I think you hit on a lot of the strengths there, uh, particularly the episode does not the episode does not overwhelm the audience by saying, don't forget, these have a different perception of time. It just becomes clear as we tag along with the Tardigrade's perception of time. Um, I, Pete, this entire short, though, I had to choke down my nerd rage at least a little bit. Um, some of the classic Trek intersections uh i kind of had myself saying you know i i think that there was shirtless sulu before uh the Khan episode but maybe i'm wrong and then you know the ship that gets blown up is labeled as the enterprise a uh which to me suggests a certain lack of oversight maybe lack of or lack of double checking there. Uh, I know that somebody on Twitter had pointed out to me that there's a shot of the underside of the saucer section uh, where the letters are all backwards. Like they hadn't done the due diligence. They just kind of copy and pasted from the top and now it, it was a mirror reverse. So a little bit of sloppiness in this thing that we waited all month and paid a whole month to get this short and of course the next. But the, the primary idea of I give you money, you give me Star Trek and a little sloppiness with the final result here. I can overlook it given the lead time that animation takes and the idea perhaps of going back and doing it. Are these oversights? They are. Um, you're along for the story, not the slavish dedication to some of the details you go through. I mean, we've got to be up well over 800 episodes at this point, Matt, for all the different offerings throughout all the eight series at this point, soon to be nine with Picard. And it's inevitable and it has happened. Um, I guess it's more so a tradition even to pick up on it and say, well, this wasn't the Enterprise A because that ship that gets blown up then gets replaced with the Enterprise A. I, I think we can all get past it. I think there's a lower threshold and, and there are people who do not consider the animated stuff because back to the animated series, right? It's not Gene's track. Yeah. Gene's lawyer said it wasn't a thing. Um, despite the fact that Gene Roddenberry was involved with his, with its creation, et cetera. Right. And, and nearly all of the cast, uh, you know, voicing their characters. So I'm here to calm your nerd rage, Matt. I've, I've listened to your nerd rage. I absolve you of your nerd rage. Well, back to strengths in this short, I think that 
it, it certainly is amusing to get some of that Looney Tunes style chase uh, mm. throughout the corridors and into the pipes. If we're going to do animated Star Trek, I mean, just like with the animated series, they they took a show that was that did not have a lot of money and they aimed really, really big just in terms of some of the far out stuff that they did. So same thing here, a slightly different financial situation, I'd imagine, but it's presented in a really fun way. I'm even down to starting with the square, black and white, to boom, the Enterprise appears, and it's full widescreen, full color. And even kind of the message, you know, this mother protecting her eggs, and the the suggestion at the end that maybe Dot has now joined the family as well, uh, peace having been found, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it is a wholesome story it is a lovely story it is a star trek story you are correct chuck captain well pete this of course a twofer this week this month uh in terms of short treks so now let's turn our attention to the second episode that uh that dropped this week the girl who made the stars is directed by olentunde atsinsami and written by brandon schwartz in space clouds a starbase spins Young Michael Burnham awakes, calling for her father. They turn on the lights, and she feels like it's just the family of three, all alone. Dad tells her she doesn't need to sleep with the lights on. She can change the universe with one tiny light. He'll tell her the story of the girl who, oh, you know. A thousand generations ago, there was only one star, and when night came, it was called the Night Beast. The village forbade nighttime travel. During the day, the land became more and more drained. A girl suggested they go beyond the mountains, a journey that would require nighttime travel. The elder said no. The girl went with a firefly. She was found by the night beast and ran. She was prepared for the end, but saw a light fall from the sky. She ran for it. She found a being, a beast, but one that provoked curiosity, not fear. The being showed her that there was so much outside the valley, starting with conquering her fear. The being fixed its ship and left, leaving the girl with a gift. She returned to the village, bringing the light. She let it go, bringing the stars to the people. They were never scared of the night again. The girl became a queen. In the framed story, young Burnham realizes that the light was inside her all along. Well, this one, I think, fills in a gap for us that we see young Michael Burnham, that we see her father, that this story about the girl who made the stars that is referenced at the beginning of discovery season two, we get the origin of where that happened. I think it has a place within the larger context of discovery and now in the canon of Star Trek. I think by virtue of that discovery episode, this short has a place on its own. Does it, stand up i don't know uh i I don't want to be limiting and and say you know i am a gatekeeper i will say what is and is not a star trek story but if we take away the frame story here of young michael being told this story and if we just focus on the core story what is it that makes it that unique Eh, you know now that said is it a positive story absolutely is it clearly meant to be uh, uplifting 100% is it meant to be uh, you know a bit metaphorical in terms of there actually is no night creature there actually there perhaps might not have even have been uh, this alien thing the moral of the story is she had the power in her all along and let's not lose sight of our individual powers um, that we have in the world 
all totally true, totally positive. I just, I, I would have much preferred, you know, the tale of the, I don't know, the the the, the lowliest uh, ship's galley cook or something like that. That was a little bit more Starfleet, Star Trek, exploration, sci-fi. Uh, that would have been my preference. But did does this fit nicely into what we've been told before? Absolutely. I enjoyed it, I think, a lot more than you. I mean, Star Trek is at its best when we've got the metaphor. Here, a story that we've had hinted at before to explore it, you know, Star Trek, indigenous peoples, the involvement of aliens. Yes, like you're saying, we don't fully know what is meant to be metaphor and what actually happened. I kind of prefer it that way and leaves it open ended. We get to see this character at a far earlier age and connect it to what we know. Who's to say, Matt, if they return to this at some point or not? But just to know that, you know, Michael had this uh, challenge when she was a child. We see her so rarely with her father. Uh, of course, the actor uh, who plays Michael Burnham's father, really her husband, um, and you know, the, the whole unique nature of that here, but I, I think it's, it's got a place. Uh, I know people are a little down on the, you know, mostly terrestrial nature of it, but you know, I, I think to some episodes in the next generation, uh, particularly who watches the watchers, it, it had a feel like that for me. And also if this was as I believe you had suggested to me off mic, Pete, if this was a trial run for the Star Trek animated show headed to Nickelodeon with a very clear child audience, this certainly flies in terms of, hey, what is the nature of Star Trek? Let's try this out. What is the nature of Star Trek for, you know, for that younger bunch uh, with a clear enough message at the end, with interesting visuals, with uh, maybe not the abstraction of, weird uh tardigrade and robot you know like actual people doing people things so if star trek is one thing it is ever evolving ever changing and can't i mean can't be stuck in why you know give me phase two why you give me bald man captain this is not my star trek why you give me other this is not my star trek. let's see where star trek can take us i would almost bet that the digital animation here was some kind of, uh, you know, back-ended test into what they might do for the Nickelodeon show. So interesting that we were sold these animated short treks prior to uh, Lower Decks as, well, they'll be in that style and they'll preview that and we're going to apparently get short treks with no real taste of it beforehand. And I'm fine with that, um, that they, they threw you off in terms of that. I think both of these kind of serve a, uh, you know, a, a test, if you will. Well, and, and piggybacking off that, you know, I am spoiler averse. Uh, they, rather sneakily inserted at the end of each of these episodes a preview for uh for the next uh and final short trek of the season uh the one which precedes picard and i was fully expecting like you know something uh, akin of you know i'm the 
lollipop deliverer to who's this admiral picard or something like that the fact that it appears to be some sort of school or starfleet academy story not you know in, in on january 6th you know patrick stewart returns in an all-new short track that kind of surprised me too uh so again i might not love this particular presentation uh, I might not just be bowled over by the girl who made the stars, but I'm tickled pink that there was something new to it. Yeah. And where we're going to drop into that story to be set up for us by that short trek in January. And then two weeks later, Matt, we'll be looking at Picard. It's hard to imagine. It's a little over a month away. Well, Pete, here we're talking about Jean Picard. Okay imposing figure intelligent man european all those things describe not only jean-luc picard but our pal fred from the netherlands hello matt and pete this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for short tracks d2 animated episodes first off I liked a lot that the animation was quite different for both episodes starting with classic cartoon-like style in ephraim and dot of course, there were a lot, a lot of nice Easter eggs in this episode, starting with the tardigrade, starting with the music uh, from the original series, having tribbles, references to the Star Trek movies, not only the series, with the Enterprise blown up. Of course, there were many more references, as the grid and the, and the big pipe. Of course, it was from the movie Star Trek IV with the whales and the big threat to the Earth and only the whales could communicate with this thing, etc., etc. It really was a joy of recognition. And in the old-fashioned style of making cartoons, it was nice. And with real cartoony-like styles of movement, for instance, when the tardigrade runs and goes around the corner, that the back of his body is stretched out. And when he is going through two small pipes and openings, that he is somewhat deformed. I also like there were not many Star Trek figures in it. So humans, of which you always think, oh, so should it be Sulu? Although there is an animated series, but nevertheless... I liked that, that there were not too many humans in it. And the humans that were in it were on somewhat great distance. And then the second episode was quite different. A different style, having Michael at a young age, not able to sleep, and her father telling her a fairy tale. I think it was very much Lion King-like, almost Christmas-style storytelling. Too much Disney-like, although it's not Disney. I like that one less. It also was less funny than the first one. Okay, that was my short feedback about two short tracks. Thank you very much that you waited for my feedback before you started recording. On the other hand, I think you had enough to do with two episodes of Runaways and The Mandalorian, etc. And even the podcasts I am not giving feedback to. The previous short track, Ask Not, I gave feedback, but I never gave feedback for The Trouble with Edward. And I want to close up with a little feedback for The Trouble with Edward. One last thing I want to say is... This conversation's over. You're dismissed. Right. This is the end of the conversation. Captain, if I could... You can't. Right, but I had this... The conversation's over. 
that's the end. Well, technically, the conversation is not over because I can keep talking and then the conversation is is continuing. I, I don't know how you made it this far in your career behaving like this. You think I'm dumb? This is why I ended the conversation. I'm having you transferred. End of conversation. It would be rude and irresponsible to end the conversation. The conversation's over. Remember, earlier I said... An ill-prepared man fights in order to prove he's not the dummy. Sometimes people just can't understand the gravity of their situation. Pete Fred's contribution this week had us cracking up yes. as we listened to it. Um, so I guess we'll just start chronologically here. Uh Good observation that in Ephraim and Dot, the humans are background characters. I hadn't quite thought of it like that, but of course he's uh, correct. And I think it works best that way, as Fred points out. And inevitably you get into the situation too with animation. I mean, the, the Ephraim and Dot being the two-dimensional traditional animation, but humans never look realistic in either of the types of animation. I mean, how long has Pixar been attempting to get humans down and still we haven't crossed that uncanny valley as they refer to it. It was a rubberization that, that takes place. And the, the humans in the two-dimensional kind of look rubbery at times as well. Uh, and of course, Fred's dialogue there, uh, regarding the episode, the trouble with Edward Pete, here's my takeaway. Even the captain can't stop Fred's cheery <laughs> optimism and input. And so that we're clear, Fred is not being transferred. <laughs> no, he's not. He's, uh, he's definitely, uh, going to be sharing his thoughts soon. Uh, doubtless on our next runaways podcast as, Listeners to the Pop Culture Podcast know as we uh, enjoy that series and dig in on it. And indeed, Pete, this whole star trek across these different story universes are all made possible by the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels from there. You you pick your level of animation uh, just a dollar a month to get you in that door, a mere quarter a week for this, for Watchmen, for The Mandalorian, for Marvel, Runaways, for Picard, everything that we do across 19 podcast feeds. Yes, Pete. And amidst all of this, again, to know that uh, particularly as some of those bills come home to roost, to know that we are listener supported, keeping us with our back catalog up there and our future endeavors hitting people's ears. It is so absolutely fulfilling. Uh, Pete, so is talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,937. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, for those listening to just the Star Trek stuff, it'll be early January when we return for that next and final season two short Trek episode. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, you have to wait until only tomorrow when we will be talking Runaways. Then things slow down a little bit. Got some Watchmen, some more Runaways, etc. But certainly busy times, fun times, and our thanks to all who listen. With that, Pete, 
I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Two to beam up.